Hello, Real Life family and friends. Pastor Tim with you again. And today we're going to start a new series on why serve. Why serve? Why is it so important for us to be servants and to serve and to give? And um, I got a couple of goals for this, but one of the things I, I was thinking about here is our, our sin nature is uh, self-centered. But our spiritual nature, when we're saved, our saved nature becomes more and more selfless, selfless. And selfish living shrinks a person's life. It makes it smaller. But selfless living, paradoxically, <laughs> increases a person's life and impact. And so um, a lot of the ways of the kingdom seem opposite to our normal, sinful, worldly thinking or nature. And serving is certainly one of them. Uh, our nature wants to be served. We want people to take care of us. We want to receive. But Jesus calls us to do the opposite. He calls us to give, to serve, to lay our life down. And so today, um, here's a couple of goals as we start this series that I have for you. Number one, I want to encourage those of you who already are serving. Uh, we have so many people who are uh, diligent and faithful and giving their very, very best to God and to his family and to make it a difference in this world. And I want to encourage you, you are great. You are pursuing greatness when you serve. Keep it up. I applaud you. Thank you. Let's keep it up. Let's keep going. I want to encourage you to keep doing it. And I hope during the series, you'll be encouraged that what you're doing is incredibly valuable and important. And it really is your purpose in God. Second goal I have is to highlight the reasons to serve. And we're going to look at a couple of those today, going deep into the Hebrew understanding of this concept so we can see what God's, you know, God's purpose and definition really is of this concept of serving and uh, how God defines that. Thirdly, I want to invite you, if you aren't already, to serve in the family of God. I want to invite people to get on board, to serve. You have something to give. You have gifts to give. Um, you were made to serve. And I want to invite you to step into your destiny, step into your purpose, and begin to serve your spiritual family. And uh, fourthly, I want to inform you of the opportunities here at Real Life that we have for people to get on board to be able to serve, to express their God-given desires and passions and talents and uh, have that impact on other people. So let's start with what Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verses 43 to 45. Then I'll go into some of these words up here and explain what that means there in a minute. But great, Jesus says, greatness is found in serving. He says it this way, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. This doesn't make any sense at all to our natural minds. Jesus says, if you want to become great, you must become a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. In other words, whoever wants to be at the top needs to go to the bottom. Again, upside down thinking for, for, for our natural sinful nature. And Jesus says, for even the Son of Man, and now he's referring to himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his, his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus doesn't just talk. He walks the talk, right? And he came from the highest position, the right hand of God, to the lowest position, to being rejected and despised by man, to pay a debt for us. He served his life. He gave his life as a ransom. He purchased us back 
from sin and from death. And that's the good news for us today. So we are in good hands. We are in the hands of a God who loves us, who have come, who's come down to us on our level and served us with his life. How could this God be a God of vengeance or anger uh, you know, or, or evil. He isn't. He is a God of love and compassion and mercy. And by his grace, we all can be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. So let's talk about serving. Now I want to look at some Hebrew today. So let's dive into Hebrew. And uh, most Hebrew words come from uh, two or three root letters. And then from those root letters, many other words spiral out and uh, form kind of a family of words that are related together. For example, in English, uh, if I was to look at the word, uh, for instance, serve. So we have serve, but then we have server, servant, service, serving, served. We have all these other words that have the same first four letters, and they all have a unique meaning, but they all are intricately related, okay? So we have this in English a little bit too. In Hebrew, it's even more so where these words are related and connected. So up here on the board, I got a couple of words, and I'll try to pronounce them for you as well, So uh, and define them. Avad uh, is made up three letters, and it means, uh, it means he served. Go over here. And then we have the same three letters in Hebrew with some different vowels. And this is Aved, and that is servant or slave. It means something different, but it's the same letters. Then we have, again, the same three letters right here. And it's with, a, with a, another letter added to the beginning, La Avad, La Avod. And it means to serve. And then we have Avodah, and you'll see the same letter again, but not quite together. This one, and this one, and this one right here. So this is Ein, Bet, Dalet, and these three letters are the same as all of these other ones right here. Okay, And this bottom one is the one we're going to be talking about a lot, Avodah, and that has the meaning of work. But it also has the meaning of serve or service and worship. So I'm going to show you in the scriptures these three different meanings in this Hebrew word. Now, the reason why we're looking at this is because I love to go to the very bottom rock foundation of the meaning of words when we're talking about the significance of, of uh, something like serve. I want to know what does God really say. I don't want to hear and just understand the English word because I'm not sure where the English word is coming from. But when we study the Hebrew and we begin to look at the pattern of Scripture, we go to God's original language. Sometimes we see amazing depth that we didn't see just with the English words that are translated from these words. And so that's what I'm, I'm hoping to show you today is inspire you and do a little bit of a word study so you see the importance of what we're talking about. This isn't just a word. This is part of God's purpose for your life and for my life. So these three different words are closely related in Hebrew because they share the same three 
vowels, or uh, not vowels, but letters, the roots. And so I'm going to flip my board. I'm going to show you three more words that we're going to be talking about today in the scripture. And once again, now that you kind of have the basic idea, you can probably notice there's the three letters there, ein, bet, dalet, ein, bet, dalet. And we already looked at one very similar to this, but there it is again, ein, bet, and dalet. And these three letters compose three words in English that we would translate as serve, work, and worship. And this is an amazing revelation for us today, that serving is related to our worship, that work is related to our worship. They are intricately connected in Hebrew. They, they have to have each other to be properly understood by themselves. So to properly understand what serve means, you must connect it to these other similar words. And so that's what we're looking at. So in Joshua 24, verse 15, let me give you an example. Joshua is talking and he says, But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now, what, what this is all about is this letter here stands for the part of that phrase, we. So he's saying we, and then some of the vowels have to do with the tense of that verb, will, so it's futuristic, we will, and then you have these three letters, serve. We will serve the Lord, okay? Now, in Genesis 2, verse 5, you see this, a very similar word translated with the word work. So it says this, Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. To work is this phrase here. So you have this um, lamed in the front of this, which acts as an infinitive. In the English language, we'd call this an infinitive. It means to work. But you have the same three letters. It could almost be translated to serve. Or it could be translated to worship. But the context of the sentence uh, leans towards the idea of work. But it's the exact same word. And then finally, in Exodus 8.1, we have this scripture. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord says, Let my people go so that they may worship me. So they may worship me. And when we look at this word, it looks I know it looks very confusing and, and complex. Um, but again, these dots and this letter here and this letter and this letter tell us the tense of the verb and the, and the, uh, and the gender and the, and the you know, singular plurality. So when Pharaoh says, or God says to Moses, that they may worship me, this, all that stuff here on the ends is about that part of that word. They may worship, and then this little part means me, okay? But then we focus in on this part, and again, it's the exact same word with some vowel, some other vowels and some other you know, parts that, that create the conjugation of that verb. But it could be that they will serve me, that they will worship me, they will work me. But it doesn't make sense to say they will work me um, and even serve me. It could be serve or it could be worship. But these words are all connected. And so my point today is to say this, that the words serve, work, and worship are intricately related and must be used in the context of defining each other and for them to properly be understood. So our work 
and our, work, our, our service and our work are related to worship. This is just an incredibly important concept. In our culture, for the most part, I would say, most people don't associate their work with worship. We tend to see our work as, uh, you know, the means by which we earn money um, or something we're talented at or good at that we enjoy. But we don't usually associate what we do for work as worship to God. But if we go all the way to the very core of what this means, it ought to be. Our work is worship. This is something that's worth thinking about, you know, in your day and your attitude at your work, whatever you're doing. Is it worship to God? Uh, does that change your attitudes and perspectives about what you're doing at work? Uh, obviously, my job is a little bit different than most people's jobs. My work actually is, you know, studying God's word and praying with people and helping people and encouraging people and preaching God's word. So, I, mine is easier to, to, to think of it that way, for sure. But when I was coaching, you know, even then, is it worship to God? Am I honoring God by what I'm doing? Am I doing my very best? Am I looking for God to use me to touch people? Because my work is not just worship, it's also serving. And I'm serving a purpose and I'm working, but it's to the glory of God. It's all connected. It's seamless. It's not compartmentalized, which a lot of us do that with our life. We break pieces into categories and we have our family life and we have our work life and then we have our church life or we have our friend life uh, or we have our school life. And we have these things in there. We like segregate all these pieces of our heart, our mind, our life, our attitudes or something. But yet in the scriptures, it's holistic. It's seamless. It's all integrated. Everything that we do is worship to God. The way that we live our entire life is worship, not just what we do on a Sunday morning or at a Bible study or singing some songs. No, worship is our life, the way we live our life. This is just profound. So here's two true statements that I want to make from this word study we just did, which is, that's what we just did. We went all the way to the original language. We're studying this word, serve. We found out it's the same word for work, and it's the same word for worship. And we found out that in the Hebrew perspective, because these words are from the same root letters, they are uh, interchangeable, and they are incredibly closely related and they cannot be defined only on their own. They must be defined with the other words in context. So I'm going to say these two true, two true statements I think are worth thinking about and making some adjustments in our lives. Number one, when I am serving, I am worshiping. Whatever I'm doing, when I am serving, if I'm serving uh, in the family of God, if I'm serving in, in any way, I am worshiping God. My service is worship. And the second statement is very closely related to that. When I am working, I am worshiping. I am to be worshiping. My work is to be worshiped to God, which means my attitude when I'm working, uh, you know, my excellence when I'm working, um, my approach to it, my productivity, my creativity, 
you know, making an impact, making a difference, all of that is supposed to be a part of my work because my work is supposed to be worship to God because it's my life. It's part of what I'm doing with the breath God gave me and you. And so do you see, I hope you see just the incredible perspective that we can have in our work and in our serving. It's worship to God. And so uh, why serve? I want to answer that question. Why serve? Firstly, we serve because when we are, because we are worshiping God when we serve. And so we want to worship God. Now, I want to go a little bit deeper into the Hebrew text, and I want to show you something I find fascinating. Okay, so now we got the idea of this word and how these three words are connected. But I want to go a little bit deeper and talk about a couple other scriptures that are pretty famous to us. First of all, and most of us know Genesis 1.28, which says this, God blessed them, this is mankind, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So this is our mandate uh, from chapter one of Genesis to mankind outlining our purpose, our destiny in God. And God says four different verbs. He says fruitful, be fruitful, uh, increase or multiply. Uh, and then he says fill the earth and subdue it. So if we just take these ideas, I'm going to put this sentence out there that, and summarize what, what I believe our, our purpose is in this world. We are created, first of all, in the image of God. This is an amazing thing to think about. We are created in the image of God to be in a relationship with God. All right? So we're not just look like God or created in His image, but we are to know Him, to be in relationship with Him. And in this relationship, we get the incredible privilege to serve or worship or work for God with the life he's given us. But it's in a partnership with him. It's not for him. It's not on our own towards him. It is partnering with him on this adventure of purpose and destiny of developing, extending and filling his creation with his image. Okay, so let's say that again. We're created in the image of God to have a relationship with God, um, to serve God in partnership with God, to fill the earth with his image. Okay, this is kind of a summary of our purpose in life. So do you see the core issue of serving? This is who we are. This is what we are made to do. And um, so we're supposed to be fruitful, to increase, to fill, to subdue. We're supposed to multiply with our life, not subtract or divide. But our life is to multiply. We are to be fruitful, not wasteful. We are to fill, not use up or empty out. We are to develop, not destroy or break down. The, the culminating sum of your life should be greater at the end than when you started, okay? That's the idea here, that God's called us to be fruitful, to increase, to multiply, to produce, and to uh, reproduce His image. Whatever we're doing, serving, working, living, having families, all of it is connected. So we're not just consumers. We are to be growers, planters, developers. We're not to just be taking, but to be giving. We should be giving more than we take. We are to leave more behind than when we arrived. 
Our lives are to be bigger than just ourselves. We are called to make a difference, to have an impact, right? So this whole idea is birthed in the very creation mandate of God. Our very purpose for being alive is to serve, is to serve the purposes of God and to replicate and extend his image on the earth. It's just amazing. Now, one other thing I want to share with you is there's a word subdue that gets uh, a lot of people confused on. So I wanted to dive into the meaning of subdue. And also in Genesis chapter 126, there's a word used called dominion. I want to talk about those two words too so that we can clarify uh, what God is really saying to us. So in Genesis 126, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. The word rule there in some translations is that they may have dominion over, to rule over, to have dominion over. And then in Genesis 1.28, we saw the word to fill in, subdue it. So let's talk about those words. Those are two different words in Hebrew. So the word for dominion is rada, rada. And it means this, to have dominion over creation, as God is, is uh, telling that we have in Genesis 1.26, it means to descend, to go down, to wander, to spread, to rule by going down and walking among the subjects as equals. In other words, to be a benevolent leader, not a dictator. This is what dominion means. A lot of people think dominion means, aha, we're in control. We're the boss. We call the shots. Everyone's got to do what we say. Like a dictatorship or a totalitarian uh, mindset or some hierarchy structure. And we're like, yes, we are made to rule. We're on top, you know. And that idea, uh, Jesus uh, punched right in the nose when he was here. And he says, you've heard it said, you know, you've seen it. The, how the Gentiles lorded over people, how they, how they control everybody, how they're dominating over everybody. He's like, no, 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 that is not how it's going to be with you. Instead, right, and then it goes into Mark chapter 10. Instead, if you want to become great, you don't get on top of everybody and beat them down and boss them around. You don't get these big fancy titles and, you know, trophies and nameplates and stuff like that and control everybody. You don't go to the top. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, that's not how you do it. How you do it is you go down. Rada, dominion means you go down and as an equal, you become a benevolent leader. You become a caregiver. Someone who is not dominating, but the, the idea is to be a leader among equals. Um, a benevolent leader. I just think that's amazing. Now, on the other hand, you have this other word called subdue. This is a different Hebrew word, and it's got a totally different meaning to it. And uh, it would be pronounced kavash. And when I look this up, the word in Genesis 1.28 actually is the word for footstool. So when it says, um, uh, fill the earth and subdue it, it would be translated something like this. Fill the earth and make it a footstool. Make it a footstool. What in the world does that mean? So a footstool is the place where one places his foot. 
And subdue means to put your foot on the neck of your conquered enemy, signifying his submission. So subdue means to put enemies in their place, to, to put chaos in its place, disorder in its place, injustice in its place, and to actually have a stronger, you know, this is different idea than dominion, which is to come down among equals and be a benevolent leader. Subdue means if you have enemies, that you put those enemies in their place and do not let those enemies rule and reign and create chaos and bondage and brokenness. And I think between these two words, we get the picture of what Jesus did and what we are called to do as well. So we are to love one another. We're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're to love one another, even people, even our enemies. We're loving our enemies, which are people um, you know, that are against us or whatnot. But there's an enemy the devil that Jesus subdued and we need to subdue and we need to put him where? Under our feet. Under our feet. So we do not live passive lives when we are contending with the enemy and with him creating chaos, disruption, evil, brokenness, bondage in our lives or the people's lives around us. So Jesus has given us authority over all the power of the enemy. So we rule, we subdue over him, but among people and creation, we come down and we are benevolent leaders. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what God has called us to do? And so together, when we put all that, that, that together, I think we get a clear picture of how we are God's representatives on the earth. And it's interesting, I mentioned that this word is kavesh here in the scriptures. It comes from the verb kavash. And have you ever heard this phrase before? Um, when someone might say, put the kavash on it. <laughs> I don't know if you ever heard that before, but I have. And I have never understood what it meant other than we know it means Put that, you know, stop that. Stop, stop that thing from happening anymore. So to put the kavash on it actually came from this Hebrew idea that it means, put, hey, put an end to that. Put that thing under submission. Put the kavash on it. I think that's pretty cool. So as we finish this uh, first week on talking about serve, uh, why serve? You know, I'm trying to lay a foundation for the next couple of weeks of, 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 of why we do this based on the Hebrew understanding, and our purpose in life. So Genesis 2.15, let me uh, read this verse for you. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him, or it might be translated, left him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. To work it is this idea, a word variation of this word right here, to work it. So, um, it's actually very similar to this word right here. So God put man from the very beginning into the Garden of Eden to work in that garden, to develop it, right? And then also to take care of it, which is the word for to guard, to protect, uh, to preserve. Some, some translations in this verse would say to till it, to till the ground, um, but it, it's more bigger than that. It's about being a caregiver, guarding it, protecting it, preserving it, and then working it, serving it. There is this worship context that God says, here's your job. I'm going to put you in this garden. I want you to, 
uh, work and serve. I want you to guard and protect and preserve. I want you to be fruitful and increase. I want you to make something of it. And so in a real sense, we really are gardeners here on this earth. God has called us to be gardeners, to work, to till the soil of people's hearts, to take every opportunity in the different gardens that God has placed us, and to reproduce, to multiply, to fill. That's the idea of serve, of work, of worship. It's all connected. So why serve? My second reason I want to give you today is secondly because we are fulfilling our very purpose in life when we serve. We're not just worshiping when we serve, but we are fulfilling our purpose in life. I hope you see that from Genesis 1.28, Genesis 1.26, and from this verse in Genesis 2.15. If these are new ideas to you, go ahead, open your Bible, study those passages, read your, uh, you know, your study notes, and, and think about these concepts, because this really will change your attitude uh, towards your work life, towards everything that you do. In fact, uh, Colossians 3, 23 to 24 is a verse I want to challenge you to memorize this week. Uh, Paul writes, and he's really talking about this concept, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, right? Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. He finishes it with this simple sentence. It's very powerful. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. It's the Lord Christ you're working for. It's the Lord Christ who you are worshiping. So whatever you do, whatever you do, because you're serving God, because you're working for Him, because it's worship, whatever you do, do it with all your heart. You're not doing it for the boss. You're not doing it for the company. You're doing it because of Jesus and for Jesus. It's worship. That's what Paul's saying. It's amazing. It's amazing. So i got two challenges as we finish today's uh, message. Challenge number one, live your life as a servant of God. See everything that you do as worship to Him and honor God with your excellence, with your effort, with your attitude, and look for God to use you to garden the people around you, to increase, to plant to develop, uh, to make something that wasn't there before, uh, and to see God use your life, even your work, even your service, to produce His image on the earth. View your life as worship, as a servant of God. That's who you are. That's my first challenge. See everything that you do as worship. Okay, this is your purpose. And the second challenge is I want to invite you to find a place to serve the family of God uh, in the church that you belong to. If you're part of real life, find a place to serve the family of God. It is part of your purpose. You have something to give, and you will come alive when you give it, and other people will be blessed because of you. Those are my challenges. Before I close this talk, I want to invite anyone who's watching right now uh, who doesn't know where you stand before God, I want to invite you to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who is the servant of all. He is the one who came, as I mentioned at the beginning, and came down from heaven, from the highest place, to the lowest place in his own creation, to be rejected by us in order to rescue us and save us and to pay a debt we could not pay for ourselves. 
And we serve a God who loves us, a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God who has come to us to save us. And that's the love of God. The Bible says God demonstrated his love in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ came. He came down and he died for you and for me. Today, I want to invite you to invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life, to receive the love of God through giving your faith and trust to him to save you, to forgive you of your sins, and to be born again. If that's your desire, pray this prayer with me right now, okay? Say, Lord Jesus, today I surrender my heart to you. I trust in you today as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for coming down, for serving, for giving your life as a ransom for my sin. Today I receive your salvation and your forgiveness. Thank you for loving me and coming to me and rescuing me today. In your name I pray and trust. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I pray that you are encouraged by today's message and that you take some action, change some attitudes, some thoughts, some patterns of living, and see everything you do is worship. And I pray that you also pray to God and find your place to serve in the local church, in the family of God, so you can really begin to fulfill your purpose and be a blessing that God's called for you to be to those around you. Let me pray this blessing over you. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in his name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Love you. I hope to see you soon. Hope you're doing great. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.